Amen. I encourage you to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Some years ago, it's been about, about four years ago now, we studied through the book of 1 Timothy and uh, have always intended to come back at some point and pick up 2 Timothy. And so we're going to do that beginning today over the next several weeks. And I'm really excited for this particular series of messages that we're calling Finish Strong, Enduring for the Sake of the Gospel. Endurance is one of the key themes in the book of 2 Timothy. There's a statement that uh, I suppose today of all days, this, this is a statement that, uh, that you, you may hear. The statement says that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And I bring that up because today is Marathon Day in Oklahoma City and in, in the surrounding area. Today is the day that the annual Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon is being run and, and really we could say has been run by, by many already who have finished this morning, and it's something that I've participated in myself a couple of different times. I've run the half marathon a few times. In fact, 2015 was my first time to run the half marathon, and at that point, I was pretty new to running. I, I, I had been running for maybe, I don't know, maybe a year, a little more than a year at that point that I had really kind of gotten into running. I would say even really kind of fallen in love with running. It wasn't something that I did. In fact, for the longest time, I thought of running as punishment. That was something you did when you got in trouble, right? You had to go run. But, uh, you know, I, I needed something in my life as, as a, a form of exercise and also a way just to decompress and de-stress. And running became that thing for me that I really, that I really enjoy and, and still to this day do quite often. Well, so in 2015, I, I set out that I wanted to run the half marathon. I, wanted, I, was gonna, I was gonna bite that off and see if I could do it. And so I had a couple of goals that I set for myself, a, a couple of which I, really two of which I, I dared to say out loud so that others would know and, and it was a form of soft accountability. And so those goals were that I, I didn't ever want to quit running. I wanted to be in continuous motion the whole time. Now listen, there was never any mistake about the fact that I wasn't going to win anything, right? It was a race, but I wasn't running. The race was against myself. There was no racing anybody else. But nonetheless, the, so the, the first goal was finish, like don't, don't quit. And the second goal was don't die out there on the course. How embarrassing would that be if, you know, if you, if I had a heart attack or something and died on the half marathon course, I thought, no, don't do that. You know? So those were my two goals. Now there was a secret third goal, which I didn't actually verbalize to anyone, but just kind of kept internalized. And that was that I wanted to finish the half marathon in front of the winner of the full marathon. And that you may think, well, that would be easy, but it's not quite as easy as it sounds for a couple of reasons. First of all, the people who run the full marathon at the front of the pack are insane. There is something about them, something about their genetic predisposition, their hardwire. There's something that's just, that's just crazy, right? In fact, today, the guy who won the marathon this morning ran it in two hours and 39 minutes. That is a pace of roughly, in fact, just slightly more than six minutes per mile. So 
I couldn't run one mile in six minutes, much less stack 26 of them together and run, run them continuously you know, at, at that pace. But the guy, his name is David Rhodes, who won the, the men's marathon today. The, the female, I, I, forgive me, her name escapes me already, but she set a course record. So the lady that won the, the women's race today set a new course record for the women's marathon. People that run that way are just insane. There's, there's something about that that I would never be able to, to pull off. I mean, it's just a physical feat that I would be incapable of, and that's okay. I, I also would never be capable of dunking a basketball. That was a lifelong goal that's just never going to happen, right? I mean, there are just certain things that you can do and certain things that you can. It's important to know your limits. So that's another one of mine. But in thinking about this goal, okay, I wanted to finish, secretly I wanted to finish. Now, another reason why that's actually pretty hard to do is because when you sign up for the race, they assign you to what is called a corral, which is essentially a starting point based on your, your anticipated finish time. So when you register for the race, you, you register for your kind of your training pace about how far or how long you think it will take you to finish the race. And so at that point in time, my training pace was such that I got placed in Corral D. Now there are 24,000 people that run in the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon in some capacity or other. Not all of them a marathon, not all of them a half marathon, but think about that. 24, so more, than, more people than live in the city of Chickasha run this race on this day and crowd into the streets of Oklahoma City on the morning of to start the race. And so when they, when they fire the gun and the race begins, if you're with me way back in Corral D, it's a long time before you actually get, in fact, you run more than a half marathon because you run a considerable distance just to get from where you start to the actual starting point so that then you can run the half marathon and finish with the 13.1 miles. And so you have what is known as your course time and then you have your personal time. Personal time is the amount of time that you run the race. And so on your running bib, there's a little chip that tracks you from the point that you cross the starting line and it keeps pace with you all the way until you finish at the, at the ending line. But there's also the course time. And the course time is from the moment that they say, on your mark, get set, go until the first person comes in. And that was the two, minute, two hours, excuse me, and 39 minutes. And that's a, that's a fairly typical, somewhere between two hours and 30 minutes and two hours and 40 minutes typically is where the winner of the marathon comes in. And so on this particular day, I'm running the race and my personal time is at about two hours and 21 minutes. But in actuality, the course time was somewhere right around the 2.35 to 2, I don't remember exactly, but somewhere in that neighborhood, 2.35, 2.36, something like that. I'm in the final stretch of the half marathon on that day. And I'm willing myself not to quit and not to die as I come down Broadway in the area that, that 
is called Automobile Alley. And as I'm running down, I can see the, the finish line is in my sights, but it's also, uh, it's, it's maybe, maybe three blocks or so away. And all of a sudden, this suburban comes by going real fast, and there are people hanging out the windows with cameras. And then the next thing you know, here comes a police officer on a motorcycle. And right about the time that he gets even with me, you hear the yelp of his siren, whoop, 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 which was, uh, to me, again, a reminder, don't die. Okay, that's not for you. Don't quit. Don't die. And then here he comes, the, the, the leader of the pack for the full marathon. And, and I'm running at my pace and trying to get my old tired knees not to quit. And whew, he just flies right by me like I wasn't even there. Now, we're separated into different lanes of, of traffic there at that point in the race. And he passes me with about... 300 yards, maybe a little less than 300 yards to go, he passes me and finishes the marathon, the full marathon, in less time than I was able to do the, the half, at least less time in regards to the course time on that day. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, you win some, you lose some, right? I mean, uh, oh well. So, I, I met my first two goals. I did what I told people I, I wanted to do. I, I didn't quit and I didn't die. And as for the third goal, well, uh, I didn't quite get there, but, but at least it was close, right? I mean, at least I saw him finish the race on that day and, and that was kind of neat in its own right. You know, when we think about, when you think about running, when you think about life is a marathon, not a sprint, we, we, we hear that, we, we tell ourselves that, right? But here's what's a little bit misleading about that statement. Life is a marathon, not a sprint, is intended to inspire us to keep going. But the problem is, marathons are really hard, aren't they? I mean, probably in this room, there's probably, we could number on one hand the number of people who have actually run a full marathon because they're hard. It's not easy to do. And so we tell ourselves, you know, hey, life is a marathon. Uh, Pace yourself. Take, you know, and that's supposed to inspire us somehow. But the truth is, regardless of how you slice it, marathons are hard. Sprints are hard. Life can be hard. Running is hard. And yet, We're all running a race. In fact, the theme of running is a theme that Paul is going to use as he writes to Timothy in this letter in 2 Timothy. And so as we think over the next several weeks about endurance, about finishing strong, running with endurance, enduring for the sake of the gospel, I want to just acknowledge this truth. Endurance is is something that we aim at. It's something that we strive toward, enduring for the sake of the gospel. But let's not kid ourselves. It's not easy. If it was easy to finish well, then everyone would do it, right? And yet, truly, there are so few people who finish well in their Christian faith. And I don't mean to say, I don't mean to say that there that there aren't any who do that. There are certainly there are many believers who finish well. I I have been privileged to stand with families and at the gravesides of so many people, even in my tenure in, in this church and, and, and seen over my many years of life and ministry, so many people who have finished well. And yet, relatively speaking, the statistics point to the fact that fewer people finish well than those who begin this journey. And so, What are we to do as believers 
in order that we might finish well, and in order that we might endure for the sake of the gospel, in order that we might run this marathon of life in such a way that we, that we end well. Paul tells Timothy in this letter how to do that. Paul being near the end of his life at the point that he's writing. In fact, when we study the background and the history behind what's taking place here in 2 Timothy, we, we have to piece together some various puzzle pieces because what happens is the, the book of Acts ends in Acts chapter 28. We see that Paul is under house arrest in the city of Rome for a period of about two years. But then when you begin to read the pastoral epistles, which are generally considered to be the last of Paul's writing. In fact, 2 Timothy itself is considered to be the last letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote of Paul's many letters. And when you begin to look at the events and and pick apart the timeline of events that Paul describes in the pastoral epistles, it doesn't match with the book of Acts. And the reason for that is that scholars believe that the events that Paul's speaking about For example, when he writes to Titus about ministry in Crete, or when he talks about when he when he talks about uh, Timothy being left in Ephesus rather than being sent ahead to Macedonia, when you look at the specifics of some of the timeline of events, it seems as though these these events are taking place after the period of Paul's imprisonment that's described in Rome in the book of Acts, And, and in fact. That's, that's largely what the early church fathers believed and, and taught as well. In fact, by the time we reach the end of the first century, so in the mid-90s AD, there's a church father who is writing, and, and listen to this. I'm going to quote to you what he says in his book. This is written by Clement of Rome, by the way, in his letter, which we refer to as First Clement. So in First Clement, Chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, written toward the end of the first century, roughly 96 AD, more or less. Clement writes this, Paul preached in the east and the west. Now, the west is considered there to be most likely, or at least many scholars would, would argue, that that's talking about Spain, that Paul traveled as far west as Spain, which we know in the book of Romans chapter 15, Paul says that he desired to go to Spain with the gospel. So Clement says, Paul preached in the east and the west and won noble renown for his faith. He taught righteousness to the whole world and went to the western limit. Again, that's considered to be Spain. He bore witness before the rulers and then passed out of the world and went on to the holy place, having proved himself the greatest pattern of endurance. And so Clement writes of these events which, which we were believed to have transpired after Paul. So the timeline that most biblical scholars would hold is that somewhere around the early 60s AD, somewhere, depending on the scholar and depending on how they put together the pieces of the puzzle, somewhere between 59 and 61 AD, Paul arrives in Rome where he's imprisoned for two years. Those are the events that we have recorded in Acts chapter 28 at the end of the book of Acts. Then after a period of two years of imprisonment in Rome, Paul is released. After his release, he ministers in the surrounding area, in the area around Rome, maybe traveling as far western as to the western limit, Clement describes it, uh, so maybe as far west as Spain. 
And then somewhere around 63, 64 AD, Paul is imprisoned again. This point, we don't really know what for precisely, but Paul is imprisoned again. And during this time of his second imprisonment in Rome, he writes these pastoral epistles. He writes 1 Timothy, Titus, and then 2 Timothy, largely considered to be written in that order. 1 Timothy first, Titus second, maybe even 1 Timothy and Titus at the, roughly the same point in time. And then at some point later, Paul writes 2 Timothy. You see in 2 Timothy just the language that Paul uses, that he is anticipating his martyrdom. He, he knows that his days are numbered. And so he's writing to encourage Timothy, his beloved son of the gospel, his disciple, to endure for the sake of the gospel as Paul himself has set that example and he's, in, he's writing to encourage Timothy to stay strong in the faith and to persevere well to the end. Now, this is the background, right? These are the, these are the events. And, and we'll see glimpses of, of this, more of this, as we study our way through the text over the next several weeks. But, but I think it's important that you understand, as we bring it into view, what is happening here, the, the history, the historical context, because these things matter for what Paul is writing here. And more than just for what Paul is writing, these things really matter when we consider that Paul is writing as one who is who's practicing what he's preaching. That what he says to Timothy is the very same thing that he is doing in his own life. The fact that he would encourage Timothy to finish well matters because Paul is finishing well in his own race, in his own life, in his ministry. And so with that in mind, I want us to read together 2 Timothy Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 7 today. And over the next three weeks, we're actually going to stay in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Next week, we'll consider a, a particular passage that goes from 8 through the end. And then on Mother's Day, a few weeks in Mother's Day, we're going to come back to some verses that we read this morning and consider them in their fuller context, verses 3, 4, and 5. But let's read together 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he, and he tells Timothy that he is an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. Paul holds this authoritative position of apostleship by the very will of God. God was the one who appointed him. Jesus himself, literally, as he appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, Jesus himself is the one who appointed Paul to be an apostle. This is by the will of God. So Paul understands that what I am doing, the way I am living, how I am running my race, ultimately comes down to a matter of God's will and his purpose for my life. And I think it's important that we understand our race, our journey in the same context. Your life, your circumstance, your situation is not an accident. God has appointed you to this moment, to this time. He is, he is active at work in the midst of your life, in your circumstance, in your situation. You can trust that he has a will and a purpose and a desire for you. And if you will follow him and walk with him, he will continue to lead and direct you. Paul can say that with confidence. I think we can say that with confidence as well when we walk by faith and follow 
Jesus and his leadership for our lives. So Paul writes in verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. We'll see throughout this letter this language of the, the love, the affection that Paul has. Now, Paul, Timothy was not his biological child, but nonetheless, Paul considers Timothy to be his son in the faith. He loves him dearly. In verse 3, I thank God. Oh, excuse me. I, I, skipped, I skipped a phrase. Let's back up. Verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that, everything that I've read to that point, verses 1 and 2, constitute the typical Pauline introductory salutation. This is Paul's way of not only identifying himself as the one who is the, the author of the letter, but he's also addressing his audience to whom he is writing. Here we know that the audience is Timothy, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we also understand that this letter continues to speak with authority for us today. Now verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in prayers, in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So as Paul is writing here to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, by the will of God, understanding that Paul, the, the Paul is, understands he's in his situation by the very will of God, that God has a will and a purpose. And, and part of that, at least in as much as, as, as what he's doing in writing this letter, Paul is saying it's the will of God that I'm in my situation and that I use my situation to encourage you in your situation. And so he writes, he writes that, that he has lived his life with a clear conscience. That's, that's really, that's where the, the idea of finishing strong first came to me as I was reading through and studying this text. I read that phrase. I thought about it. What, did, what does it mean to live your life, to reach the end of your days and be able to look back and say, you know what? My conscience is clear. I've lived a good life. I've done what I was supposed to do. I have honored God. We're going to look over the next several weeks of specifically what that might mean for us to run this race, to endure for the sake of the gospel, to finish strong, to finish well in this race that we're running. But I would just contend that I long to be able to reach the end of my race someday as Paul is reaching the end of his race and say, I've run my race well, as he's going to write in chapter four. And I can say that with a clear conscience, right? With, with peace of mind, knowing that it's true, I believe that if we put these principles to practice in our lives, we too will be able to say with a clear conscience, I've run well the race marked out for me. Paul writes, I remember your tears. If you go back to the story of Acts, the story of, in, of, of Timothy in the book of Acts, I mean to say, in Acts chapter 20, we read about Paul's goodbye to the Ephesian elders and how they 
how they embraced each other and they wept together. And could it be that perhaps that's what Paul is writing about, those last moments with the Ephesian elders? You know, Paul left Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus. Some have argued that, that Paul is writing here in reference to a letter that Timothy has written to Paul. So Paul writes 1 Timothy to Timothy. Timothy writes a letter in response to Paul, and evidently in that response to Paul, pours out his heart, mentions something about his tears, his concern for Paul and Paul's situation, and Paul's writing back to encourage him. Hey, I'm okay. Everything is okay. We don't know exactly what tears Paul is referring to, but nonetheless, suffice it to say, life can be full of hardship. Life can be full of difficulty. There are moments in life that that bring tears, right? There are those moments in life when life is hard, but by faith in Christ, we can endure even in the midst of that. And what we find is that even in spite of the tears, there can be joy, as Paul writes about in verse four here, be filled with joy. He keeps going. He says, fan into flame the gift of God. The, the, the word that is translated fan into flame only appears here in the New Testament. So when that happens, when there is a word in the Bible that doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible, there's a, a phrase, there's a descriptive term that's called hapax legomena. So this, is, this term is hapax legomena, which just means that it appears only here. This word, to fan into flame, which literally means to rekindle. It's an infinitive in a progressive sense, which means that it's, he's, he's saying essentially, keep fanning into flame or keep rekindling, keep, keep blazing this fire that, that is the gift of God, which was given to you through the laying on of my hands. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy, keep going, endure, persevere, continue to rekindle, continue to fan into flame the gift that God has poured out on you through the laying on of hands. God has blessed you God has bestowed you with the ministry. God has called you. Could easily be saying these same things to us today, right? Now, our gifting is not the gifting of Timothy, and, and, and not everyone has literally experienced the laying on of hands, which is actually, that's where we get the term ordination. That's what ordination means, to set apart, to lay on hands and set apart. Not everyone has been ordained explicitly in the manner that Paul is describing here with Timothy's story. But nonetheless, every one of us, every one of us have a gift or gifts that are the ministry of the Holy Spirit given to us by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, we call those spiritual gifts, which we are also intended to fan into flame, to rekindle, to keep ablaze, that we may use these gifts for the purpose to which God has called us. And then he writes this, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I want to spend the balance of our time, the rest of our time this morning, and I want to talk about what it means for us to endure for the sake of the gospel by living not in a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So first, let's see, what does it mean for us to endure? 
with, with power, enduring with power. When Paul writes to Timothy that he should endure with power, what Paul is telling him is that he needs to keep going in the power that God will give him, the power that comes through God. There is a power that is available to us as Christians that is not of our own strength, that is not of our own doing. It is the power that comes from God, not a spirit of fear, but of power. The word power in the Greek is the word dunamis, which is where we actually derive our word dynamite from. It's, it's, dynamite is powerful. The word power invokes that imagery of something that is strong. Now, not necessarily explosive, right? But, but nonetheless, when you think about the, the power of a stick of dynamite, it, it invokes this imagery of what's being said here when Paul writes, Timothy, don't live in your own strength. Don't do just the things that you can do. Don't limit yourself to your own power and your own abilities. Live in the power of God given through his Holy Spirit. Use the gift that God has given to you. Fan it into flame that you might live in the power that God supplies. Oh, that this would be true of us as well. We too can live in the power that God supplies. Our strengths are limited, right? Like as I told the story earlier about running the half marathon and, 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 I, and I talked about, you know, the, the fact that growing up, I always wanted to someday be able to dunk a basketball. Those things weren't meant to happen. I, I could try all I want, but at the end of the day, I, I lack the power to do those things. I'm never going to run a marathon in two hours and 40 minutes. It's not going to happen. I couldn't even run the half marathon in two hours and 40 minutes, by the way. Actually, I could. That's not totally true. Uh, my time that day was two hours and 21 minutes. I guess I didn't include that part of the story. My, my personal time, not my course time. My personal time that first time out was two hours and 21 minutes and 11 seconds. So I ran it, I ran it in about two hours and 20 minutes that day. But try as I may, I would never be able to run a marathon in two hours and 40 minutes. Not happening, right? I'm just not, I'm not cut out for that. And yet, all of us have limitations. All of us have limits to what we can do. But you need to hear me when I make this statement. There is no limit to what the Spirit of God can do. There is no limit to his power. There is no limit to his authority. There is no limit. So when the Spirit of God calls you to do something and he supplies the power for you to do it, you may say, well, there's no way I could ever do that. But you need to hear this. By the power of God, you can do anything and everything that he calls you to do. So that if we're called to walk by faith and not by sight, God in his power enables us to do that. If we're called to love one another, as we're going to see in a minute, if we're called to, to, to have self-control, if we're called to be patient, if we're called to be kind, if we're called to be bold in our witness, all of these things that the New Testament instructs us to do, we can do not in our own strength, not in our own power and ability, but in the power that God supplies to his people. And so we live not in our own power, we endure not in our own power, but with the power of God, alive, active, at work in us. So we endure with power. Not only do we endure with power, he writes here about enduring with love. Enduring with love. Now, I'll just be honest. For me, 
this is the one of the three that stretches me the most because there are lots of times when I'm put in situations and it's just hard to love certain people in certain moments, in certain situations. Can you, can you relate? It's hard to love others all the time with the love that Jesus gave to me because my heart is selfish, because my feelings get hurt, because I get annoyed and agitated and put out with other people and other circumstances and other things. And it's just not always easy to love with the agape love, the, 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 the love that continues, the love that perseveres, the love that endures, the same love that Jesus bestows upon us by faith. And yet, Paul writes, endure in love. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love. And if he's called us to love, and if he's enabled us with his power, then we can love with the love of God. First John chapter 4, John writes that we're to love others the way that God has first loved us. He goes on to say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that true love casts out Fear. Fear has no place in love, John writes, because love does away with fear. Well, what does Paul say? Paul says essentially the same thing. You're not called to a spirit of fear, but of love. We're to love one another with the love that Christ has poured out on us. And we're to endure in love. And lastly, in this formula or these points here that he unfolds to Timothy, he says... To endure with self-control. Endure with self-control. He talks about enduring in self-control. Self-control literally means to, to be self-disciplined. And so if you look at other English translations, they don't all use the word self-control. Some use the word sober judgment. Some use the word discipline. Some use the word of a sound mind. And all of these things point to and, and really are appropriate translations. It's a contextual thing. But self-control to me is, I think, the preferred way to translate and understand this word because the point is this, that we're to have the kind of self-control, which is really a product of the Spirit's work in us, that we would discipline ourselves, discipline our lives, discipline our desires, that we might live in a way that would be controlled, that would be honoring to God. So by the power that God gives us, we're able to love one another. We're able to demonstrate self-control that we might accomplish this instruction that we would fan into flame the gift of God in us through the laying on of hands for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control the call for us is to endure with power endure with love endure with self-control here's the challenge that's the call here's the challenge if you've ever tried any of those things, you know that you can't. You can't, can you? It is impossible, it seems, to live in the power of God all the time. It is impossible, it seems, to love others always with the love that Christ gave us. It is impossible, it seems, to have self-control in every moment, in every circumstance, in every situation. And that, again, is the point. On your own, it is impossible. In your own strength, in your own ability, it is impossible. 
This is why we need the gospel. This is why we need Jesus. Because you understand that for Jesus, none of this was impossible. In fact, it was possible because he did it. Because Jesus lived in the power of God. Jesus loved with the love of God. Jesus Jesus expressed self-control even in moments when he was tempted, even in times when he was tried. He he had self-control. And Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He paid the price for us, for you, knowing that you would never be able to do this on your own. And yet Jesus willingly took that for you. He became the righteousness of God on your behalf, Paul writes to the Corinthians, so that you might be able to endure with power, endure with love, endure with self-control. All of this, all of this, is is framed in the context of a gospel-centered life. I have no expectation for myself or for you that you will hear this message today and that this is it. From now on, you should never sin again. I won't even do that, right? It's not going to happen. I know myself well enough to know I'm going to stumble and fall at some point, and yet when I do... Therein I find the grace of God made available through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that even when I fall short, even when I fail at these things, even in my limitations, the power of God is not limited. The power of God never falls short. The power of God never runs empty so that I may get up and run again the race that I've been called to. And today I hope you hear that. Because you may have come into this room today. You may have come into our worship gathering feeling deflated, feeling defeated, feeling like you're running on empty, feeling like you're out of hope, feeling like you're out of second, third, fourth, hundredth chances. And God wants you to hear this truth today. In your own strength, it's impossible. But according to the power that he supplies... By the will of God, you and I can endure for the sake of the gospel. So let's purpose together to finish strong, to run with endurance the race that is marked out for us, knowing that the testimony of our lives, the the witness of our lives, much as we are considering here the witness, the testimony of Paul's life, that the witness of our lives can be used to point others to Jesus if we will just devote ourselves wholly unto him and run with endurance the race that he's marked out for us. How do you need to endure today? In what way is God calling you to endure? Are you called to endure in, in his power? Are you called to endure with his love? Are you called to endure with self-control? Today, may you be willing to renew your commitment, to fan into flame, to rekindle, as it were, the passion that would burn inside of you for these things, that God may be honored and glorified, and that your life might point the way 
to Jesus. And in all of the ways that we fall short, in all of the ways that we come up empty, in all of the ways that we reach our limits, may we be reminded that there is, there is hope for us in the gospel of Jesus. That he did for us what we could never do for ourselves so that we might accomplish his call, his purpose for our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are so grateful that you have made a way. You were the, the, the pace setter in this marathon of life. You were the one who went before us, showing us the way, leading us. You lived the perfect life. You suffered and died on the cross to take the place for us that we might be forgiven and that we might be empowered, enabled through the work of your Holy Spirit through the power of your resurrection, to live this life that you have called us to. Help us today, God, to fan into flame the gift that has been given to us. Help us today, God, to renew our, our commitment to, to uh, as it were, to sign up again, to keep going, that we might honor you with our lives. We desire to finish strong. We desire to finish well the race that you've called us to run. Help us as we endure for the sake of the gospel. We pray this in your name.